Holy Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the grace to be among the living today. Glory, praise, honor, and adoration be unto your holy name. Your will be done in heaven, and your will be done on earth, and we pray that you will make us the instruments by which your will is done on this earth. We have heard of the promises that you have made to us finite fallen humans, that we may be in the image of your, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we want to grasp this promise, and we pray, Lord, work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. As we fellowship with you now, strengthen, edify, and bless us. Grant us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Grant us the gift of your word that it may transform our lives. As we prepare for the coming of our Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that all necessary things will be done in our character. May the words which we will hear now prepare us, strengthen us, edify us. Put your words in my lips, dear Lord. Grant me of your spirit that your children may be blessed by the things they will hear. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, September 1 Under God's Control Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. Daniel chapter 2 verse 20 and 21 Behold the Jewish captive, calm and self-possessed, in the presence of the monarch of the world's most powerful empire. In his first words, he disclaimed honor for himself and exalted God as the source of all wisdom. To the anxious inquiry of the king, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? He replied, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. In the annals of human history, the growth of nations, the rise and fall of empires, appear as if dependent on the will and prowess of man. The shaping of events seems, to a great degree, to be determined by his power, ambition, or caprice. But in the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside, and we behold above, behind, and through all the play and counterplay of human interest and power and passions, the agencies of the All-Merciful One, silently, patiently working out the counsels of His own will. In the history of nations, the student of God's Word may behold the literal fulfillment of divine prophecy. Babylon shattered and broken at last, passed away because 
in prosperity, its rulers had regarded themselves as independent of God and had ascribed the glory of their kingdom to human achievement. The kingdoms that followed were even more base and corrupt, and these sank lower and still lower in the scale of moral worth. The power exercised by every ruler on the earth is heaven imparted, and upon his use of the power thus bestowed, his success depends. To recognize the outworking of these principles in the manifestation of his power, who removeth kings and setteth up kings. This is to understand the philosophy of history. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Under God's Control and our key text is taken from the book of Daniel chapter 2 verse 20 and 21 and it says Daniel answered and said Blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his and he changed the times and the seasons now the next statement is the focus of this devotion it says he that is God removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Amen. Do you ever wonder what happens around you with respect to the wars, the rumors of wars, the elections, who is the next prime minister, who is the next president of this nation or that nation, why do we have monarchs here and there, why do we have dictators, why do we have rulers, why do people win wars, who is it that wins the wars for them, is it because of their wisdom, is it because of their power, why is it that some mighty nations cannot conquer some seemingly small nations and why is it that some small nations indeed get invaded by other mighty nations and take control of them and sometimes smaller nations invite invade bigger nations for example once upon a time that country which you see today big as it is china was once under the control of a very small island called japan how was how did that happen and there's another small island somewhere called england once upon a time was controlling a huge percentage of this whole world i think about a quarter they were subduing them people places like india nigeria were under the control of this nation this small island called england why are things happening like this is it because of the wisdom of men is it because of their prowess and their power as we delve into this study today, into the Word of God, we will understand better how these things happen. And the next elections which you have in your nation, whoever it is that wins, whether by crook or by hook or legitimately, you will find out what really happens there. We look at this story of King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. You know, one thing that summarizes what I just said now is what we read in the devotion, Conflict and Courage, page 250, paragraph 4 and 5. It says, In the history of nations, the student of God's word may behold the literal fulfillment of divine prophecy. Babylon, shattered and broken at last, passed away because, in prosperity, its rulers had regarded themselves as independent of God and had ascribed the glory of their kingdom to human achievement. The kingdoms that followed were even more base and corrupt okay end of quote and then uh, paragraph five also says the power exercised by every ruler take note whether that ruler won his election legitimately or not 
the power exercised by him on this earth is heaven imparted. Does that sound too hard to chew? It may sound to be so, but it is not so in the eyes of God. Even though people get into power through the wrong means, God permits it to be so. And a very important example of this is Babylon itself. Do you remember some devotions ago, we looked at the study of Habakkuk as Habakkuk saw the rise in power of a certain nation called Babylon and he was afraid. But he wrote down his complaint concerning Babylon saying, Lord, are you going to give us up to a nation that is worse than ourselves? That was his his question. How will God do such a thing? Babylon were no righteous people, but then the Lord used them for a purpose. Reading the book of 2 Kings chapter 24 verse 2 to 4, I think this was during the time of Jehoiakim, how the Lord used Babylon to punish him. It says, And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldees, and bands of the Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants, the prophets. Surely, at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah. Now listen, it is not at the will of these nations, Babylon, Syria, Moab, and Ammon. You know, when we look at what is happening around us, it looks as if, oh, this nation, this king of this nation, or this president is just by his head himself saying, I want to go and fight this country and subdue them. No, that is not how it happens. Second Kings 24 verse 3 says, Surely, at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he did and also for the innocent blood that he shed for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. God has a book where he keeps the record of every nation and we have seen that when the iniquities reach a certain level the Lord destroys them now the people which he uses to destroy them may not necessarily be nice people they may even be worse than the nation they are destroying but then as far as the time has come for that nation to receive their judgment the Lord will bring the judgment upon them and he uses men as his instrumentalities not necessarily righteous men but he uses men nevertheless regardless of their righteousness or iniquity now in the days of Nebuchadnezzar this king he was not a good person his nation were not a good people they subdued the whole world as it were every nation the Assyrians they wiped them out Judah they conquered and every nation that was under Assyria before because Assyria was a world power before them they subdued whether it is Egypt whether it is Assyria themselves Syria Israel Judah all were under Babylon Nebuchadnezzar had risen to such a power that he did not have any other nation to conquer and all other nations were subdued by him but how did he do this we'll see that in a bit but Nebuchadnezzar one day was lying down on his bed and thinking what will happen to my kingdom that was what Daniel told him he was lying down thinking what's gonna happen to my kingdom after in the future and he slept off and the Lord invaded his the privacy of his mind of course and gave to him a dream when he woke up he couldn't remember the dream but he knew that something had happened in the night and he wanted to remember that dream and he called his his wise men Chaldeans and astrologers and told them please tell me my dream and the interpretation and they said to him we cannot do that to cut the long story short he said I'm gonna kill you and they said we can't do it and he said okay go and kill them he gave the order 
And when the word came to Daniel that it was said that they were supposed to be killed because they couldn't tell the dream and the interpretation, he requested for time. Daniel prayed with his brothers and the Lord revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel and Daniel came to Nebuchadnezzar to tell him what the dream is about. Now today's focus is about God being in control of everything happening on this earth and that's what we're going to focus on. As for this dream and its interpretation, the interplay that it has to do with this world, we will look subsequently at that. But now, when Daniel came to interpret the dream, the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, he said in the book of Daniel 2, starting from verse 31, he said, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of gold, fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest still that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth this is a dream and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king now daniel wants to tell him what is the interpretation of this dream of a very terrible and great image so when he says terrible that means you could stand before this image and just be like a tiny person you will not even be your your height will not even get past the feet of that image it was great and terrible what did this represent i am not to interpret it neither are you the one who gave the dream has the interpretation and that is god and he gave it to daniel and daniel said daniel chapter 2 reading from verse 37 Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, wheresoever, take note, the beast of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. How would Nebuchadnezzar have heard these words? He was thinking all this while. That it was by his might and his power and his own wisdom that he had conquered all these nations. In fact, when you read the book of Ezekiel chapter 22, chapter 21, reading from verse 18, it says, The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, Also thou son of man, appoint thee two ways, that the sword of the king of Babylon may come. Both twain shall come forth out of one land, and choose thou a place, choose it at the head of the way. Verse 21 now says, For the king of Babylon stood at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways, to use divination. He made his arrows bright, he consulted with images, he looked into the liver. At his right hand was the divination for Jerusalem, to appoint captains to open the mouth in the slaughter, to lift up the voice with shouting, to appoint battering rams against the gates, to cast a mount, and to build a fort. And it says, and it shall be unto them a false divination, a false divination in their sight, to them that have sworn oaths, but he will call to remembrance the iniquity that they may be taken. What are we reading here? Nebuchadnezzar had his gods, and he was practicing witchcraft, 
divination he consulted with gods he will slay an animal and look into the liver bring the body parts and through that he will then consult should i go and fight jerusalem and judah should i go and fight this nation and then he would do some kind of incantation to get direction but it was a false divination who was the one giving nebuchadnezzar the victory he is hearing it now the god of heaven is the one that gave you these kingdoms it is not those divinations that you were doing it is not those with the wisdom you were getting from wherever you think you were getting it god is the one that gave you this kingdom every man under this earth he has put under your power even every animal how would nebuchadnezzar have heard this thing so there was someone somewhere else who was doing this he thought it was his strength he thought it was his might but now god is introducing himself to nebuchadnezzar saying i am the one that gave you this kingdom but your kingdom is not going to be lasting forever. In fact, the book of Jeremiah chapter 25, reading from verse 9, God had prophesied to Judah, telling them, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, and, and hissing, and perpetual desolations. So here it is that the Lord uses the word, my servant, for Nebuchadnezzar. Even though Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked man, and today you see many, many nations, they do that, they fight. You don't know what is behind it. So it is not good for us to just jump into any war that is taking place, not knowing what God is trying to achieve with it. God brought the whole world under Babylon, under Nebuchadnezzar, for a reason. Especially did he bring Judah to Babylon. For a purpose to reveal to these nations that he is the god of heaven and through daniel now the lord was doing that and he's the god of all gods now nebuchadnezzar heard something that he didn't like after this daniel chapter 2 verse 39 daniel said to nebuchadnezzar this is the part where he will be interested his fingers perhaps being together his ears very open to hear what next what next what is daniel going to say now and daniel said and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over all the earth who we'll talk about how nebuchadnezzar viewed this statement in subsequent devotions but he heard now that his kingdom was not going to last forever another kingdom was going to take over you see god takes responsibility for the rise and the fall of babylon he said, I am the one that put all nations under Nebuchadnezzar. And he also says, the nation that is going to conquer them, I am the one who is going to do it. Jeremiah 25, reading from verse 10 now. God says, I'll read from verse 12 now. God said concerning Judah and Babylon, he says, And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations and i will bring upon that land all my words which i have pronounced against it even all that is written in the book which jeremiah had prophesied against all nations for many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of them also and i will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands amen do you see what the lord is saying here i'm going to be dealing with every nation as i choose to when their iniquities reach a certain level i will punish them as for babylon i brought them into power and if they don't repent of their own iniquities i will punish them remember when the lord wanted to punish assyria 
They were the greatest of kingdoms at the time. He sent Jonah and Jonah prophesied. But there was a king that time who was about, I think, the father or the grandfather of Tiglath Pileser. That man, he was a good man. He commanded the whole of Nineveh and the whole of his kingdom in Assyria to repent. And they fasted three days and the Lord spared them for many years. They were spared and they lived well. And God used them as a nation to conquer other nations to punish them. Nations like Israel were punished by Assyria. Nations like even Babylon, Egypt they were punished by Assyria. The Lord was using them. But when Sennacherib lifted himself against the Lord, the Lord punished him. Though Assyria was still around, but they departed from God and God used Babylon to punish them. Now Babylon themselves, God used them to punish other nations and the Lord said, you also Babylon, your iniquities when it reaches a certain height, I also will punish you. And if you see it, many times when God punishes these nations, it is because they lift themselves up above the God of heaven. Sennacherib lifted himself up above the God of heaven. He was punished. The Philistines did the same thing. They were punished. Babylon, their nation do wicked. God spared them for a long time. It was not until the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar called Belteshazzar insulted God by taking the cup and the vessels which Nebuchadnezzar held as sacred, keeping them in the temple of his own gods. His son, grandson, Belteshazzar, took these cups and used them for partying. He desecrated them that Day, a hand was written on the wall saying mene mene fasten your days are numbered i have brought the Medes and the persians to conquer you but long before that day the lord already knew what he was going to do known unto the lord are his works from the beginning of time isaiah chapter 13 reading from 17 to 19 long before even nebuchadnezzar was even uh risen into power perhaps he was a little boy at this time or perhaps he was not even born God prophesied concerning the particular nation and the particular person that he was going to use to conquer Babylon, even when Babylon was not yet in power. I read now and says, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, that's against Babylon, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children, and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the child's excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow! The Lord said, I'm going to lay Babylon waste. And he did it through the Medes. And he mentioned the name of the person. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1 and down to verse 4. It says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed. Look at that word. To his anointed. Who is his anointed? One prophet somewhere? No. To Cyrus, whose right hand have I holden to subdue nations before him and i will lose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates and the gate shall not be shut do you know these two-leaved gates it is what the gate of babylon was called the two-leaved gates he says i will go before thee you see that the lord is saying i am the one who's going to conquer babylon though using cyrus before cyrus i will go and make the crooked places straight i will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron and i will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that i the lord which call thee by thy name am the god of israel for jacob my servant's sake and israel mine elect i have even called thee by thy name i have surnamed thee though thou knowest 
though thou hast not known me. Amen. Behold the intelligence, the omnipotence, the omniscience of the Lord. Even before Cyrus was born, he surnamed him and said, I am going to use you. Cyrus was a man who had this uh, situation when he was born. His father, um, he had both parents from the Medes and the Persians, but because there was this disunity between them, he was rejected by both sides. But he did grow up and become the king of the Medes. And through him, the Lord said, he is my anointed. The Lord used him to conquer Babylon. And furthermore, concerning this uh, kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, you can read the book of Daniel 5, how it actually happened. But if you look at the prophecies in the book of Daniel, God gives information incrementally. In the book of Daniel 2, the dream given to both Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar was given information in a very uh, minute way. But God gave further information incrementally in the book of Daniel 7. Daniel 7 contains a vision that Daniel received concerning four great beasts. He said that the four winds strove upon the sea. And the four winds, of course, represents the nations and the fighting. That's what it represents, fighting among nations because the sea represents people. And the Lord said that there was this four winds striving upon the nation and then upon the sea. And then a lion came out. After that, a bear came out. After that, a leopard with four heads. But the lion that came out had two wings and he devoured and he conquered. And then there was a bear that came out with one side of his shoulder lifted up and had three ribs in his mouth and it was devouring much flesh. And then there came this leopard with four heads and four wings. And that one also was moving very swiftly and conquered. And then a fourth kingdom which Daniel could not liken to any known animal, beast or creature on this earth came out. It was dreadful. That's what he said. Exceeding dreadful. It's stamped the residue with its feet it had iron claws and iron teeth and it was destroying the whole earth this was the vision four beasts but when you look at daniel 2 there were four metals also head of gold chest and arms of silver belly and tie of brass legs of iron this is representing the same thing in the book of daniel 7 verse 17 and 18 the interpretation was given to daniel and it says these great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth but the saints of the most high shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever even forever and ever now let us talk about this second and third kingdom which comes after babylon in the book of daniel 8 incremental information was given just prior to the time Babylon was going to be destroyed. The Lord said to Bab gave to Daniel exactly what was going to happen. You know, in the book of Daniel 7, the names of the kingdoms that was going to conquer was not said. But after the death of Nebuchadnezzar, when his son Belteshazzar was in power, Daniel received a vision just before this kingdom of Babylon was going to be destroyed. Daniel chapter 8. It says there in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after the witch appeared unto me at first. So, have you ever wondered why it is that when Daniel was called in the book of Daniel 5, when that writing on the wall was written, Mene Mene Tekel and he was called to interpret what was written. Why is it that Daniel this time didn't say, give me some time, let me go and pray? It is because many days before, months perhaps, God had already told him what was going to happen in the book of Daniel 8. 
in the third year of this king Belshazzar who was the one that used those vessels of the Lord and desecrated them. In the third year of his reign, God already told him what was going to happen to Babylon and it was that two kingdoms were going to arise and the Lord mentioned exactly what that kingdom was. This time, these kingdoms were represented by a ram and a goat. This ram was conquering the whole world. And then a goat that had a notable horn. You know, goats have two horns. But in this vision, this goat had only one horn. And this horn was used to conquer that ram. And the ram, when it fell, the Bible said it could, said it could not stand again. What does this re- dream represent? In the book of Daniel chapter 8. Reading from verse 19, it says, And he said, Gabriel was the one that came, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed the end shall be. The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia, and a rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall arise out of the nation, but not in his power. So what is happening here? Let us retrace our steps. God took responsibility for Babylon's prowess and conquering of the whole nation and he also took responsibility for their fall and he took responsibility for the rise of the kingdom of media and persia now god is taking responsibility for the rise of a man called alexander the great ever heard of him before perhaps you have perhaps you haven't but this man called alexander the great known as the great warrior of greece the kingdom of greece during his reign was the time when the lord used him to conquer the nation of Media and Persia. Alexander the Great conquered to the extent of going down to Africa, Egypt, down to India. The whole of Europe was under him. He conquered the whole world till there was no other nation to conquer. If you go to Egypt today, you hear of the Alexandrian Library. You also hear of the University of Alexandria or something like that. It is because of this man, Alexander the Great. But how was it that Alexander the Great conquered the Medians and the Persians? During the reign of the Persians, the Lord came to Daniel to tell him something. The Lord is the one behind that is giving, that is working out everything for every nation, either judging one and raising up another. And that's why Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God. He removeth kings and set up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise. Where did the wisdom of Alexander the Great come from? Where did his power come from? How come he died suddenly? I thought he was such a powerful man. It is because the Lord went before him. He didn't conquer the Medians and the Persians just by himself. Some people know very well the representation of the people called the Spartans who had these 300 men that went to fight a certain Zexis. This Zexis was a king of Persia. The Greeks were rising at the time and they were used to conquer the Medians and the Persians. How is it that 300,000 men of Alexander the Great fought over a million powerful men of the Persians? Is it because they were powerful themselves that they conquered Persia? No. Daniel chapter 10, reading from verse 19 to 21. When Daniel was praying at the time to try and understand the vision that he was given in the book of Daniel chapter 8, Daniel, uh, angel Gabriel came to him and told him that the prince of Persia withstood him 21 days. Why was this so? He said that there was something that was happening behind the scenes. God was working out for the next kingdom to come. And hear the words of Gabriel now in the book of Daniel 10 verse 19 to 21. And he said, O man greatly beloved, fear not. 
peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I came unto thee? And now I and now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth me, holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. Amen. That Gabriel says here, I, I will fight the prince of Persia. So, when Alexander the Great was fighting the Persians, who do you think was behind it? Gabriel had already gone to fight before him and had already taken the defense away from the Persians. So, what did Alexander the Great do? We should not exalt these men because they have no power of themselves. Alexander the Great did not conquer no nation. It was Gabriel who did it. And when you see nations rise against nations and one wins the other, it is because that's how the Lord, that's how the Lord wants it. He is taking control and taking responsibility for everything that is happening and he has his reasons. He judges nations, he removeth kings and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge unto them that know him. The wisdom of Alexander the Great, the power, the prowess of Alexander the Great came from no other than Gabriel. But then Gabriel himself said, I am not the one who is doing it. I will tell you who is doing it. Daniel 10 verse 21. None that holdeth me holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. Who is this, Michael? None other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Michael, he who is God, he who is what God is, who is our prince. He was told, Daniel was told, it is your prince. Who is our prince? None other than Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts chapter Acts chapter 3 verse 15 when Peter was speaking he said to the people that they killed the prince of life whom God had raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses also in Acts chapter 5 verse 31 the apostles spoke and said about Jesus him had God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins so who is our prince who is Michael? He's our prince. And who is our prince? None other. We don't have two. Just one of our is our prince, Jesus Christ. If there is any other prince, it is he who Jesus called the prince and the, of the power of the air. None other than Satan. Jesus himself said of him in the book of John chapter 16 verse 11, saying of Satan of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. In John 14 verse 30, he said, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and findeth nothing in me. John 12 verse 31, Jesus also said, Now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be judged. The prince of this world is not the prince of Daniel. The prince of this world is Satan. But Daniel's prince is Jesus, and here he is called Michael. That's just a short study on that. Perhaps more study can be done on that. Michael is the prince that upheld Gabriel. So who is the one that was giving Greece, Alexander the Great, and also Media and Persia and Babylon their power? God is the one in control. God is the one that is controlling everything that we see happening in our world. But then, there was this fourth kingdom that came. Daniel 7, reading from verse 19, Daniel said, 
then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all, all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, which whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Now what is the interpretation? This fourth beast, you've seen the description, dreadful, exceeding terrible, iron teeth, it has ten horns on its head, and eventually another horn came up and removed three of the previous horns that were there. So in total, seven of the older horns and one more horn. But this other horn that came up had eyes and mouth and spoke great things. So what is the interpretation? I don't have it, but of course the Bible has it. Daniel chapter 7 verse 23. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. So let's take break this down. Which kingdom rose after Greece? You see, when we read in Daniel 8 concerning um, this kingdom of Greece, the, the rough goat, it had a notable horn which broke into four. What is the interpretation of that? Daniel 8.23 says, In the latter time of their kingdom, that's a Greek kingdom, when the transgressors are come to full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. This king of fierce countenance is referring to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire did not necessarily conquer the Greek Empire. When Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was divided into his four generals, Seleucus in the northern kingdom, which capital was Syria, and Ptolemy, the southern kingdom, had its capital in Egypt. And then there was the western and the eastern one, and the eastern side was controlled by the, um, Alexander the Great's family, his own son, that is known as Cassandra, and to the right, the western side, we had Lysimachus. Quickly, Lysimachus was wiped away and Seleucus took over that side. And then, Cassandra wasn't such a powerful kingdom. The real power was being tussled between the north and the south. That is Seleucus, just call it Syria, and Ptolemy, call it Egypt. After some time, they would fight and fight against one another so that they can take the kingdom, the whole kingdom of Greece. But meanwhile, while they were doing this, to the far west, a small nation was rising up. That red nation was called Rome. These people were coming up little by little, and they had this policy that they were using to conquer nations. They were using the principle of so-called peace to take control of other nations. Describing them in the book of Daniel 8 from verse 25 to 26, Gabriel said to Daniel, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall make craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. 
he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And what is this referring to? God is bringing two parts of Rome together, pagan Rome and papal Rome. God is not separating them, it is one empire. There was the pagan Rome rose into power, going through all nations by peace, destroying many giving them their army. You know the way the US does today? That's how Rome was doing in those days. They would send their army for peacekeeping. There was a time when the king in Egypt was a little boy and they sent their army to Egypt to protect the little boy king so that the Assyrians would not conquer and kill the Egyptians, which was actually Greeks of course. But while giving protection to Egypt, they were taking over Egypt. And they did this all over in North Africa, Morocco, down to Tunisia, they even, we even went to Morocco before Egypt, and then to the whole of Europe they were doing this thing till they were finally in power. And you know them as the Caesars. First of all, we had Julius Caesar, he was not necessarily a Caesar, but he was a ruler at the time, before you then have Octavius, and then you have people like Augustus Caesar, and the rest of them. They were in charge of the nations. You may be asking the question, why is it that Gabriel was involved in bringing these nations into power? Now, there was a reason. The stage was being set for our Lord Jesus Christ to come. There were things that needed to be in place before Jesus can come into the world. The Romans were in charge of Judah at the time when Jesus came and this was very significant and important. It was them who were responsible for crucifying Jesus and that's why we read in Daniel 8 verse 25 that he shall magnify himself against the prince of princes. The Roman Empire, when it was now losing its power when it was pagan Rome, transformed itself into paper Rome. They interfered into what we call Christianity today and they came in with their paganism into Christianity and that's why you see idols in Christianity today and they formed that church which we will talk about much later in subsequent devotions that was known as the Roman Catholic Church. The Caesars now became popes and the bishops, the former soldiers, the parliament became the bishops later on, I mean the cardinals. This was what happened. But we see what we're really looking at in this devotion is that there is nothing beyond God's power. He is in control of all of this. He knows it all. And we will look at the interpretation of this vision of the fourth kingdom in other devotions. But suffice to say for today, what the Lord wants us to understand is that everything going on in this world is under His control. When we go back to that Daniel 2 vision, we see that at the feet was mixed with iron and clay. A time came when Rome lost its power. But then, the feet being the last part of the kingdom is mixed with iron and clay. What does this mixture of iron and clay represent and at what time is this? Reading from Bible Commentary Volume 4, page 1168, paragraph 8, it says, we have come to a time when God's sacred work is represented by the feet of the image in which the iron was mixed with the miry clay. God has a people, a chosen people whose discernment must be sanctified, who must not become unholy by laying upon the foundation wood, hay and stubble. Every soul who is loyal to the commandment of God will see that the distinguishing feature of our faith is the seventh-day Sabbath. If the government would honor the Sabbath as God has commanded, it will stand in the strength of God 
and in defense of the faith once delivered to the saints. But statesmen will uphold the spurious Sabbath and will mingle their religious faith with the observance of this child of the papacy, placing it above the Sabbath which the Lord has sanctified and blessed, setting it apart for man to keep holy as a sign between him and his people to a thousand generations. So what is the meaning of this, this iron and clay? It says, the mingling of churchcraft with and statecraft is represented by the iron and the clay. This union is weakening all the power of the, of the churches. This investing the church with the power of the state will bring evil results. Men have almost passed the point of God's forbearance. They have invested their strength in politics and have united with the papacy. But the time will come when God will punish those who have made void his law and their evil work will recoil upon themselves." End of quote. Amen. So, known unto God are all the affairs of this world and all of it is under his control. As we saw in our devotion that when nations begin to raise themselves up against God, that God punishes them. We see that even in the things happening in our worlds today, God knows all about it and he is involved in it all. Reading from Conflict and Courage, page 250, paragraph 5, it says, The power exercised by every ruler on earth is heaven imparted, and upon his use of the power bestowed, and upon his use of the power thus bestowed, his success depends. To recognize the outworking of these principles in the manifestation of his power who removed kings and set up kings, this is to understand the philosophy of history. And before we have read that in the history of the nations of of the nations the student of god's word may behold the literal fulfillment of divine prophecy the kingdoms that followed babylon were even more base babylon shattered and broken at last passed away because in prosperity its rulers had regarded themselves as independent of god and had ascribed the glory of their kingdom to human achievement and today when nations are putting God out of the picture, God gradually and slowly notices it and begins to protest against it. And when they come to a certain level, the Lord will take them out of the way. We see that God is involved in the affairs of this world. And he is bringing about a time when he will finally come as that stone that hit that feet of iron and clay, which represents the mixture of the church with the state to bring about things that are not good, taking away people's liberty of conscience. And we are going to look at that in subsequent devotions, taking away people's liberty of conscience. This is where we are today and we are supposed to be preparing for that stone to come. Maranatha, page 266 from paragraph 4 to 6 says, The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living, rulers and statesmen Men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observed in the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they realize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis.
angels are now restraining the winds of strife until the world shall be warned of its coming doom. But a storm is gathering, ready to burst upon the earth. And when God shall bid his angels lose the winds, there will be such a scene of strife as no pen can picture. A moment of respite has been graciously given us of God. Every power lent us of heaven is to be used in doing the work assigned us by the Lord for those who are perishing in ignorance. The warning message is to be sounded in all parts of the world. A great work is to be done, and this work has been entrusted to those who know the truth for this time. End of quote. Brothers and sisters, while we understand, we can rest assured knowing that everything taking place in our world is under God's control. Do you think of the war happening ethnically in your part of the world or nationally in your part of the world, whether it is the one you hear about far away from yourself, it is under God's control. What we are to do is to take the moment of respite that has been given us to prepare for the coming of the Lord. That stone that will destroy all these kingdoms is about to come. That stone that hits that feet of iron and clay is about to come. And when it comes, where will it find you? Will it crush you along with that image or will you be among the kingdom that is going to set up that's going to be set up by that stone which represents the kingdom of god where will you be now is the time to make our decision do not worry yourself about the elections taking place in your nation who's going to win and who's not going to win who will win it is who god wants regardless of what you do regardless of whether you go to vote or you do not go to vote god's will will be done everything is under his control you can rest assured knowing that his will will be done on this earth but he what he wants from you you need to know in your own sphere if you are among those whom i just read of now who knows the truth for this time it is for you to give that truth to others a great work is to be done and this work has been entrusted to those who know the truth for this time so stop worrying yourself about those who do not know the truth you who know the truth give it to the people do not get involved in choosing whether it is babylon that will win or whether it is Medo medopatia or whether it's alexander the great or whether it is rome it is not for you to involve yourself in that what you are to do is that is to commit that truth which has been entrusted to your hands like it was entrusted to daniel and give it to the nations give it to the people to prepare for the kingdom of god that is coming let us pray dear father in heaven thank you lord that we can be we can rest knowing that you are in control of everything taking place in this earth and i pray lord that you help us to so relate ourselves with you that we may be found on the right side of history that we shall we shall not fulfill wrong and negative prophecies but positive ones forgive us our sins lord and help us now at this time to prepare for your coming in jesus name i've prayed amen